Mafia, what is up? And welcome into the Halftime Adjustments podcast. We are taking a break today from our crossover segments we've been doing uh, this spring so far because I have a very special content creator from the Bills content creation community. I'm sure you've seen his work on the Draft Network as well as the Draft Dudes podcast. And of course, he is the host of Locked on Bills. Joe Marino is here today. Joe, how are you doing? Charlie, I'm doing good. Appreciate you having me on and uh, excited to dig into these topics today. Yeah, I'm really excited because you and I, I think, are really big Dawson Knox supporters. And I think we also know very well that the average fan, we, we've talked about like Dawson Knox might have a breakout. We expect him to have a breakout. But I think the average fan needs to see that, whether it's for statistics or some other reason. And the more that I thought about it, I don't really think that he's going to show the type of statistics that's going to make your average fan think he had a breakout. So I felt like I needed to bring you on here and, and sort of help me figure this out. I, I did a quick um, you know, calculation of targets, of, of if there's any room for him to gain more targets. Uh, I reduced Stefan Diggs' targets a little bit. I reduced Beasley's just a little bit. And then, you know, I, I kind of gave Emmanuel Sanders what I thought he'd get. And I feel like there's only five or six sort of floating around free targets that could really go to Knox unless someone gets injured. So I need your help with this, Joe. What do you think a breakout for Dawson Knox would look like in this offense? Well, I haven't quite done the, the breakout of the statistical piece of this in terms of figuring out how many targets I think there are to go around in, in the distribution of those. But I have some ideas that I'll get into. But before we like, get to that point, I, I feel very burdened to catch everyone up on Dawson Knox because there's a lot of people that are disappointed with him and want him to be better. And we're hopeful that the Bills would make a run at Hunter Henry or Jonu Smith or draft a tight end super high in the draft or trade for Zach Ertz. And none of that stuff has happened. So let's talk about Dawson Knox and, and the player that he is and why there's been inconsistency. Well, first of all, let's establish that tight ends are extremely slow developing to the NFL to begin with. And that has a lot to do with them both having to learn how to play receiver and offensive line, right? It's a lot on their plate but especially for a guy that hasn't really played tight end in his life. High school quarterback. He goes to Ole Miss, caught 39 passes, was like the sixth option in their offense, in an offense that really didn't care about tight ends. He didn't even catch a touchdown pass as a starting tight end at Ole Miss. Then he goes to the NFL. He's a third-round pick, and he's the starting tight end right away, and that included him having to deal with a hamstring injury during training camp and preseason that really limited his reps. Year two, you know, we watch him in year one. We like some of those big moments, right? Some, some big-time yards after catch things, some big-time plays down the field, but a lot of drops, a drop rate of over 20%. So year two comes. We're all excited. All right, he's going to have better hands. He's got some experience under his belt. He's still the starting tight end. And he has a concussion, COVID, and a calf injury that limited him a bit. And then you kind of couple that with, the wide receiver-centric offense really developing. And so Dawson Knox was very, very quiet in year two. However, I will point out some things that are of note to me. Um, it, of course, being mindful of the injuries and in, in the slow acclimation and all the things that I talked about to this point. 
yeah, Dawson Knox had a slow start to the 2020 season, but he finished really, really strong. His drop rate was cut in half from 20% down to 9%. And I'd like for him to cut that in half again, but there is progress there. So let's acknowledge that. Number two, the last nine games of the year, this guy was extremely productive in relation to what the tight end output had been previously. The last nine games of the season, including the playoffs, once Dawson Knox was able to put COVID, a concussion, and a calf injury behind him, he had 26 catches for 244 yards and five touchdowns in the last nine games. Across a 17-game schedule, which will happen this coming year, if he were to maintain that pace, that'd be 49 catches, 460 yards, and nine touchdowns. So before we kind of get into market share and what it could look like this year, I wanted to catch us up on what's happened to this point. Talk about the growth that has happened that I don't think a lot of people are willing to acknowledge and just how much of a factor he was over the last nine games, including a pretty big role in the playoffs. Yeah, and I I think that's a great point. Like Fans really tend to get stuck, I think, some fans anyway, in a certain narrative they have about a player, and it's tough to have them sort of come off of that and and really kind of see things, uh, you know, just sort of generally speaking, not not with all the, you know, the fan goggles on. Uh, as far as the targets go, basically what I did is I assumed that, you know, Josh is going to have the same amount of passing attempts because, as you said, it's it's they don't want to lose their fastball. That's, that's sort of the offense that they're going with. I reduced Diggs from 166 to his previous career high, which is 149. Uh, I, I took 10 away from Beasley. And then I figured out, okay, well, Sanders is going to get John Brown's 52, and he's averaged 65 in the three years prior to coming to Buffalo. So you kind of give him the 17 that you're taking from Diggs, and you add that to Brown's to get Sanders, and you're basically left with 10 targets, more or less. You know, it, it, obviously, if someone gets injured, that's different. And, you know, maybe McKenzie gets less. Maybe McKenzie gets more. Hard to say. And, you know, who knows? Maybe Gabe Davis gets more. So it's basically like 50 targets for Dawson Knox. Now, with your projection, obviously, his, his targets stayed the same. But his yardage almost doubled. It went out about 80, 80%, I think, in your example. And the touchdowns went way up. Um, and I, so I don't know, I, I wonder if that's enough for people to say, yeah, he did have a breakout year. Cause I'm sure that I'm going to talk about it and you're going to talk about it yeah. on your podcast as well. And, and we're both going to say, man, Dawson Knox got a lot better. And people are going to say, okay, but he only had, you know, yeah. 35 catches and 420 yards. Like, how is that a breakout? Well, so first one other point that kind of ties into the stuff I talked about previously, the reason Dawson Knox is worth the weight and worth being patient with is because he has elite physical gifts, athleticism, and size. He is as physically gifted as any tight end in the game. He's more physically gifted than Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. All right, so there's nothing that he lacks, and that means that he has a very, very high ceiling, especially when you consider where he's at in his development and where he came from. So when you start to talk about, all right, what does this look like? How do we measure it? I think, first of all, you're going to know because he'll be more consistent when he does have opportunities to make a play. I think that's been kind of the issue. I don't think anyone's watching Dawson Knox and saying, we need more catches and we need more yards. No, we just want you to be more consistent when you're given that opportunity. This is a wide receiver-centric offense. I, I've beaten this, this drum for a while now, but the, the Bills wide receivers last year, as a, just a wide receiver core, 
They had 433 more receiving yards than the number two team in the NFL when it comes to wide receiver output. If you're looking for the missing tight end production, it's right there. The Bills throw the ball to wide receivers. That's their bread and butter. That's their fastball. So I don't know that we're looking for more Dawson Knox. I don't think anyone's going to feel better if Dawson Knox gets double the targets and it, it, it takes away 30 from Diggs and 30 from Beasley. Nobody wants that, right? I hope not. I hope right. that people aren't going to measure the Bills' <laughs> offense by, by that. That's really foolish. What you want to see is consistency when given the opportunity to make plays. And as that happens, Josh Allen's going to be more and more willing to go to him with the football. And I thought we saw that happen more and more last year. And I think it'll spill over to this coming season. So I, I don't know that statistically you're going to be able to measure this. And when you start talking about tight end production, let's keep in mind, last year there was only four tight ends in the NFL that had more than 700 receiving yards. Four. Like, you have to, you have to understand the context and what's normal for an NFL tight end. You know, if you, the, Kelsey and Greg Olson and what George Kittle's done, getting 12, 13, 1,400 yards receiving, that's not normal. Right, that's that's an offense that prioritizes that. So the Bills had the number one offense they've ever featured in in the history of the of the organization. Number two in the NFL in scoring last year, five hundred one points, throwing the football to wide receivers. So you can get the tight ends more involved, and I think they should, right? Because you have to think about how the scheme evolves and how do they go into this season with new wrinkles, right? So I think more tight end involvement is there, but. I'm not. If you're thinking Dawson Knox is going to challenge for eight, nine hundred yards, re- remember that's not like that's not normal. We just want him to be more consistent when given those opportunities. Right, and I and I think that's what I've tried to sort of tell people too. Is you look at Kelsey, you look at Kittle; those guys are the first option in their offense, or or at worst the second option. Where Knox is, I don't know, option number six, number five. Yeah. You know, depending yeah. how you want to to look at it. So. I, you know, I, I really like the, what you presented, and I was cer- certainly going down that road as well. Is it's going to be like, okay, what does he do with the ball in his hands? You know, like you said, cutting down the drop rate. And I hope that, you know, our fellow fans will will be able to, you know, see that and and realize that he has been really making good strides if that happens, because I think he is incredibly athletic, and it, it's it certainly would add an interesting part to the Bills offense, you know, maybe I know people have said what Josh maybe needs to get better with is taking, you said taking profits, you know, taking whether you want to call it checkdowns and maybe, you know, throwing the knocks on some of these, these shorter routes when he just kind of leaks out of the, off the line of scrimmage would be really helpful uh, for the Bills offense. Yeah, obviously I agree with that. I I've elaborated on that quite a bit lately, but um, I, you know, when you have players like Diggs and Gabriel Davis and Cole Beasley, really good route runners, and you like to put 11 personnel on the field all, as much as the Bills do, right? Like a high percentage of their offensive snaps are three, three wide receivers and one tight end. You should really be able to create some spacing challenges with that group. And, and, and as part of that, you give Boston Knox a lot of opportunities to just run to daylight, and he should be able to get open based on some of the concepts that Brian Dable you know, employs. And so – I think he can factor in more in that regard too, not just like, all right, dump him down to him in space and let him create. Like there should be spacing opportunities based on the style of this offense that gives Dawson Knox opportunities to catch the football and be defended by linebackers and safeties that he's more athletic than. 
Right, and I felt like it was something that the Chiefs and maybe even the the Bucks did with Gronk. I feel like they just kind of like had him like take three steps off off the line, and they were just kind of all the way there by themselves at times. Certainly in the playoffs, and I just said even if the Bills can do that, just get these little things, and then let let him use his athleticism in the open field. A real interesting uh, dynamic to the Bills' offense. Uh, Joe, I think. When I usually have people on, whether they're a writer or a podcaster or whatever they are, I like to ask them either how they got started, what their process is, because I know I think there's a lot of people out there who are looking to get into different ways to cover their favorite team, cover their favorite sport, and a lot of people aren't really sure how to go about it. And I I think your story in terms of how you came up through the industry with the writing is pretty well known. You're certainly willing to answer people's questions on herd mentality about how you got your start and all those things. I think one thing that's really overlooked and I overlooked it when I first started was the amount of preparation that it takes to do a podcast or even write an article, but I guess specifically about podcasting. And I think that's the thing that really sets guys like you and Greg and Bruce apart. So Explain to the listeners, like, what is your, how much research do you do typically for an episode? Like, how far in advance do you try to um, plan your calendar uh, just so you can, you can get some sort of idea of, of what you have next and, and get the appropriate amount of time to get your content, your research for your content situated? Yeah, I appreciate the question, Charlie. And I'll, I'll just dump, I'll dump some thoughts here. Um, obviously, the time of year, um, matters a lot. When I'm in season and it's game weeks, I have a very rhythmic approach. I know exactly what I'm doing every single day and, and I don't have to spend a lot of time or any time thinking about what I'm going to talk about. I have to talk about, you know, figure out within the, the structure of the game recap and uh, previewing the next opponent and the crossover and leftover thoughts, all that stuff. You, you, you craft those things, but for the most part, the, the concept is taken care of. So the, I guess the more interesting question is how, how do I formulate these content plans when the bills are not playing games. And as somebody who hosts a daily podcast on the team all year round, you have no other choice, but to be dialed in all the time on developing content ideas. And I'm, I'm in year three of hosting lockdown bills. So I have, you know, two full seasons, excuse me, under my belt. And um, that's helped me, in year three to really not have to stress about this, but I am constantly thinking about the Buffalo Bills. I am constantly consuming content about the Buffalo Bills and developing my own opinions. And through that, I come up with a lot of show concepts and I just constantly write them down. And do I do every single one of them? No, but a lot of them I do. And if I look at my calendar right now, I have my show concepts determined through July 21st. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you can you can lose a lot of productivity by not being prepared and not planning in advance. Because if I know I have to record a podcast that day and I haven't considered what I'm going to talk about until that day, it's so inefficient. So I, I plan way, way out in advance. Um, that's key. And then as you know, those those shows are coming, you continue to kind of think about them. And, you know, I'll be giving my daughter a walk around the neighborhood. Or I'll be you know, uh, watering the, the plants outside or vacuuming or something in the house. And you'll start to like continuously be thinking about these things. So you just keep writing stuff down. 
And so I have a, a, a large document that I am always adding to and, you know, massaging as I prepare for shows. So that's kind of the preparation thing. And then I'll say this because I have a lot of conversations with people and they're like, well, how do you do it? How do you do a, a daily podcast on the bills? And, and to me, the, the reason I think that sounds hard to other people is because they don't have to do it, right? It's not part of everyone else's life to do a daily podcast in the Buffalo Bills. But if it was, you would think differently. You would be thinking about this all the time and, and have some type of process, right? You should at least for being able to deliver what you're promising your listeners. And so just like other people have different jobs and I might say, I don't know how you do that every day, but they do. It's just part of what they do. It's their rhythm of life. This has become my rhythm of life as well, where I know in the dog days of June and July, I've got to talk about the bills for 30, 35 minutes a day and, and make it worth pushing play on. And that's the thing, man, like you, you don't want to, you don't want to get by episode. You don't want to just check a box because if you do, you're going to lose your audience. And I know how critical every podcast is because that could be the only opportunity anyone ever gives me. And I know I need to deliver. I don't need to just check a box. And I put a lot of stress on myself because that is a daily obligation of mine. And if I just wing it and say, all right, well, let me just spew what I have and see what happens and check the box and move on. And hopefully tomorrow's a better day. I could have lost the opportunity to gain a considerable amount of listeners. And I'm also training my audience that, yeah, every day is not worth pushing play on. And I ask a lot out of my audience. I deliver a podcast every day. I, I mean, so because of that, it puts a lot of stress back on me. And I think it's good stress because I think that helps me be serious about it and deliver something worth pushing play on every day to try to deliver something that people aren't going to listen to and say, yeah, uh, not sure why I did that. That wasn't a good usage of my time. I don't want anyone to ever listen to an episode of Lockdown Bills and think, man, I, uh, I didn't enjoy that. There wasn't that I didn't gain anything. That's there's no new information. It just sounded like Joe tried to, to check a box that day. So um, I hope that answered your question. I, I certainly delivered, like I said, I just kind of dumped a bunch of thoughts there, but uh, that's, that's kind of at a high level, my process and my mentality towards um, executing the podcast on a daily basis. Uh, no, that was a great answer. And I really appreciate that because I feel like every time I hear you talk about that, you know, I learned something and I did want to just briefly bring up your audience in general terms because I think that, you know, your hard work and sort of just your personality and, and how you present things, it seems to me that the audience really values you and they value you as part of their day. I, I know that, yeah. you know, well, probably once a month, they ask you for a scouting report yeah. on your daughter. Um, yeah. and, and that's probably doesn't happen with every podcast, right? Like yeah. they, they care enough about you to, to want to know how your daughter's doing. So, and I'm sure you noticed that you, you got listeners all over the world. I, I know that all different countries. So I think the audience is just really taken to you. Yeah. I, I, and I've taken to them. It goes both ways. And Man, that's my favorite thing about my Herd Mentality podcast every week is that people will send me a question, right, for me to answer on the podcast. And I appreciate that a lot. It, it, it'll never be normal to me that people care enough to ask me my opinion on the Buffalo Bills. So I, I try to do, do them a solid and answer that question well. But it's, it's what goes into that email that's not the question that just keeps me smiling and keeps me excited where people say, hey, Joe, thanks so much for the podcast. I listen every day. Um, me and my son uh, on our way to school every day, we, we listen to your show or, 
you know, while I'm doing the dishes and at night or, you know, on my morning walk and they tell me about how the podcast fits into their life. And, and Charlie, man, I think about that, dude, when I'm sitting down to record this thing, I know these thousands of people are counting on me to deliver this. And I know from so many people exactly how it fits in. And you, you, I mean, you should care a lot about that as a podcaster. And I burden myself very, very much. And I, when there's times where I don't have a lot of energy for it, or I'm like stuck on something that pushes me because I know, you know, Steve from California, when he picks up his son from school, they're going to listen to the podcast. And I know that, you know, somebody else in Hawaii is going to take a walk with their daughter this afternoon. And this is going to be played while they're doing that. And, you know, people want to listen while they have their coffee in the morning or while they're at the gym. And it's like, man, I need to, I need to do these people. Well, like they took the time they chose to listen to me. Like I don't get to do this work if people don't care and they don't prioritize listening to the podcast. If I don't have listeners to the podcast, I don't get to do this. And so, um, I value it for so, so many reasons. Um, but you know, the, the relationships and, uh, emails that I get and, and the engagement and the value that people tell me the podcast gives them and the value that I get and delivering it and knowing that there are people that have chosen to make me a part of their daily life, man, that's humbling. And that keeps me working really, really hard. Yeah. I feel like it's the, almost like the opposite sort of side of the coin that most podcasters find themselves, especially in this market. I know you and I have talked, I think in the past, there's just so many podcasts. And I think a lot of podcasters are just trying, you know, trying to get as many listeners as they can, trying to be different. And there's a lot of pressure in that. And I think, you know, your, the responsibility kind of that has become of you and Lockdown Bills, I think, is even more important. I don't know, important is the right word, but, but because you're trying to retain listeners, but like you're, you're, you know that a guy and his son or a guy and his daughter or some, you know, some guy in Singapore is, is going to take time out of their day to listen to you. And you can't, like you said, you can't have a bad day. At least for those 30 minutes, you can't have a bad day. I don't know if you listen to Eric Wood's podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood. It's, one, it's in my rotation, and I, and I love listening to it. Uh, he has a clip in there that, that is at the end, or, or I think it's either at the end or the beginning, where he says, the average week, on the average week, over 100,000 podcasts are launched. Oh, and man. he says, thank you for listening to mine. You know, and... I mean, people only have so many hours in the day. They're, they're, you, there's only so many podcasts that people are going to listen to. I think the average, you know, somebody who's engaged with podcasts, that they, it's, it's something they prioritize. The average on a week of different podcasts and different shows they listen to is like between five and seven. And so I don't take for granted that anybody makes mine one of those. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't look at other podcasts is competition. I don't think there's any competition in this field. Everyone should just do your show and let it stand on its own merits. And if people like it, they'll listen to it. Um, but I, I love this community of Bill's podcasters that exists. And, and as somebody who creates content, but also consumes a lot of it, I, I must listen to nine or 10 different Bill's podcasts a week. And I love that. And I love how there's so many different people that are willing to advance the discussion and engage a fan base that is hungry. I mean, Bill's Mafia, they want content 
and they want people talking about the team and they want to engage in it. And I love how deep this community is. I love how saturated it is. And, um, you know, I love the relationships that exist, not just with me and other podcasters, but between other podcasters within this community uh, to lean on each other and uh, have a lot of fun. And, and, you know, there's a lot of good friendships that exist because we just have that common ground of talking about the Buffalo Bills into a microphone. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, and, and to your, your first point there, I try to listen to every single Bills podcast at least once a week. Plus, I try to listen to the other markets like Locked On just to get some sort of, and it's extremely difficult to get all those in in a week. And yeah, I, I mean, I tell people all the time, I think, I, I really feel like that, you know, you and Greg and Bruce and, and a few other people in the community have, I, I feel like I've really sort of, you know, maintain some type of friendship with you guys like like and i wouldn't have expected that i guess is what i'm saying and everyone is really nice in the community i don't know if i've ever run into anybody who who wasn't willing to be helpful and i i just think that that's a great thing and it certainly wasn't something that i expected to happen but i, I it's really i'm really thankful that i am part of the the podcasting community and I, i'm thankful that that i do put out content that that you know a certain number of fans do want to listen to i think that that's that's great yeah and i think and like you said there man connecting with people connecting with your audience connecting with other content creators you know i think that's what matters a lot because that's what's going to keep people coming back like maybe the topic that i have every day isn't your cup of tea. It's not something that you're interested in, but because you value the connection that you have with me as the host and you, you know, you, you, that's important to you. You're willing to push play. Like I did my podcast on Friday. The, the 28th was about how the Buffalo bills measure against the Kansas city chiefs. And maybe that's not something that you care about, but because you have a connection with me and you're, you're curious on some of the things that I might have to say about that, you're going to keep pushing play. And so I think that connection matters on so many levels. But, you know, outside of just the, the fact that we all want our podcast to grow and we want great numbers, like there is that value, you know, and, and that's something, I'll be honest with you, in this line of work that I do, which is basically just watching football and talking about it, I, sometimes I feel like there's not a lot of value in that. You know, I'm not, I'm not helping anybody like – yeah, with their health or uh, right. I'm, not, see, yeah. I'm, I'm not employing people. Uh, I, I don't know that I, I give a lot in terms of like <sighs> value, right? Like I'm not a doctor or a nurse or something yeah, I like get that. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So, so when I hear people say that, you know what, I love that it gives me an escape from stressful things in my life. And I love that it helps me unwind after work or I help. I love that it um, gives me something to look forward to in the morning. You know, that helps me find value in the work that I do, knowing that at the end of the day, I'm not saving lives or, you know, doing, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, I, doing I know what you're saying. Yeah. Meaningful. Right. Like in the, in the grand scheme of, of right. the, you know, the planet, uh, you know, like I'm not teach, you know, we're not teaching people how to, you know, mm -hmm. be astrophysicists or something or, right. or whatever it is, but yeah, it, you're giving them a, a, a 30 minutes or 40 minutes sort of escape from, you know, their, their job or their, their morning or the traffic they're stuck in, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, no question. All right, last topic before we, uh, I, I let you go. I know I've taken a bit of your time here. When I, when I 
watched the Bills lose to the Chiefs, and then I watched Tampa beat the Chiefs. I think my initial reaction was, man, the Bills need to change this. They need to change that. They need to get more athletic at corner. They need to maybe do with the three safety thing. There were all those sort of initial reactions that I had, and I think a lot of people had. And now that we've had a few months sort of to kind of digest this, the free agency, the draft has happened, is there really anything, whether it's offense or defense, um, when it comes to either scheme or personnel, that you feel like, and I know you just did a podcast contrasting <laughs> these two teams, uh, yeah. you know, that the Chiefs, they need to, whether it's the Chiefs or, or it becomes the Ravens, you know, or they meet Tampa in the Super Bowl, is there something you look at and say, man, if they, they did tweak this one or two things, I feel like that would really kind of push them over the top. So, yeah, I mean, I gave, I gave 35 minutes uh, worth of answering that uh, on the podcast today on Lockdown Bill. So I don't want to, like, rehash all of those talking points, but I, I definitely have ideas. Charlie, I think that the overwhelming thing that stands out to me is the Bills' game script for winning football games has been, or, or last year, was throwing the football a lot, challenging defenses down the field with, with big plays, and... um playing zone coverage on defense. And I think the challenge is that game script isn't great for Kansas City. And I worry that they have to be a different team in order to have a better chance of knocking off the Chiefs. They can beat the Chiefs. That's not, that's not a question. Any team in the NFL can beat any team in the NFL, especially two of the best teams, right? It's not, it's not an impossible task. But... Right. When I look at the losses that the Chiefs have had over the last two years, they had five of them, um, and I'm not including uh, Week 8 in 2019 when Matt Moore was a starting quarterback or Week 17 in 2020 when it was against the Chargers and they weren't playing any of their guys. The teams that were able to beat the Chiefs, number one, they had a very, very successful rushing attack. In those five losses... The team that the Chiefs were playing averaged 36 rushing attempts, 177 rushing yards, and two touchdowns, 4.92 yards per carry. When's the last time the Bills touched 30 rushing attempts in a game? The yeah. average was 36. So let's, let, like, let that sink in first. You have got to be able to win in the run game offensively. Number two, let's focus in on the Super Bowl and, and Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning that game. Tom Brady had one completion where he targeted the receiver 20 yards or more down the field. He had two that were targeted between 10 and 20 yards down the field. 18 of Tom Brady's 21 completions in the Super Bowl with, were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. That's not the Bills offense. So in order to offensively have success against Kansas City, which I think bleeds into your opportunity to slow them down and keep Pat Mahomes off the field. It's a very, very efficient and successful running game, and it's the short passing game. So are the Bills going to be willing to adopt that? Can they flip their script offensively? I think that's critical. And number two, or excuse me, not number two, but on defense for the Bills matching up with them, you know, I think what was very successful that Tampa Bay did against them in the Super Bowl was they played a lot of two-man coverage, cover two, but two high safeties, and then man coverage underneath. 
Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't think the Bills are going to run a lot of man no, coverage. They're not, and they can't because Levi Wallace is CB two. Levi Wallace can't run with Miko Hardman and Tyree Kill. It can't he physically can't do it. And then you have to be able to, you have to be able to contain Patrick Mahomes in the pocket and compress him, compress the pocket around him. And we should all be very encouraged what the Bills did this offseason to help with that by signing FA Obata and drafting Gregory Rousseau and Carlos Basham. They got compression style rushers. Like that's going to matter a lot, being able to get pressure on Mahomes, but do it in such a way that it keeps him contained in the pocket. And stylistically, that's the type of defensive ends that they got. I mean, you can have four-man pass rushes that feature Rousseau, Basham, Epinesa, and Jerry Hughes as your four-down linemen. And you're going to have a lot of success, or you're going to have the opportunity to have a lot of success because you can't blitz Mahomes. Mahomes kills the blitz. Kills it. You've got to get organic pass rush with four. So those are some of my high-level thoughts, but at the end of the day, the Bills were a very blitz-heavy team last year. They didn't run the football, and they threw the ball down the field. It's a different script. They have to adopt a different script to beat Kansas City. And it sounds to me like what you're talking about, certainly offensively, is I feel like the way the Patriots beat the Bills for 30 times in a row, right? I mean, like, I always say, like, you know, Tom Brady's going to dink and dunk us down the field. You know, they're going to run when they need to run. And it's something that they can't yep. be stopped. And defensively, I felt like you were kind of describing the Giants, you know, and in, in when the, yep. they won the Super Bowls with Eli Manning. They just put four defensive ends on the field and give Brady a lot, a lot of trouble. So I, I feel like Brian Dable should probably be able to, to figure out the offensive part of that since he spent so much time with yep. the Patriots. Well, it's, it's death by a million paper cuts, right? That, that's right. what you're looking for. But, uh, you know, it's also a mentality. You can't go into a game against Kansas City and say first to 50 wins, right? Like, that's yeah. foolish. Don't do that. And I feel like in both of the games that the Bills played last year against Kansas City, in which I don't think they were competitive in either, especially the AFC Championship game, where they said, all right, Josh, we think you're the NFL MVP. Go win us the game. Come on. like, yeah. <laughs> And they got up, right? It was the score nine to nothing. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, the Chiefs the – Chiefs, uh, you poke the bear, and, and it was a, a two-score lead before you can blink. You know? like Right. So, so I think you have to go into it and say, no, we're going to compete for four quarters, and it's not going to be this massive stress put on Josh Allen to hang 50 points on the Kansas City Chiefs to win. Just play a normal football game. But within that, the normal football game for the Bills, it has to be adjusted for Kansas City because that's what beats them. Right, and I, and I think that's hard, pretty hard to do. And I believe it was you and Kyle I heard talk about this on Draft Dudes. Was it Steve Sarkeesian who talked about how it's really tough to string together like a 15-play drive because yep. you've got to have everybody doing everything really almost perfectly for 15 plays in a row or 12 plays in a row. So that adds to it too, right? I, I think we don't realize how efficient and almost perfection any offense that Tom Brady has been in for the last 20 years has been, and it's tough for teams to, to replicate that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and, and I want to pull up a statistic here, so I'm going to buy a little time. Yeah, no, <laughs> as, the, as, I, you, as your producer pulls it up. Yeah, well, as know, my I, pr- 
I will tell you, Joe, we did, going way off topic, we did, I think the last time we talked, talked about how, you know, Niagara Falls was going to be moving towards Grand Island. And, and I wanted to tell you that I saw something last month in the Buffalo News where apparently 10,000 years from now, uh, Niagara Falls will be like basically at Memorial Auditorium. So <laughs> if you want to maybe buy some real estate downtown, you know, for your 12 generations from now, great, great, great grandchildren, so they can have a tourist spot for the <laughs> Niagara Falls and the downtown Buffalo. I just thought I'd let you know that that's uh, I saw that in the newspaper. Keep keep talking. I'm almost okay. <laughs> All right, that's fair enough. What else can I talk about? Uh, yeah. So the Steve Sarkeesian thing I think is interesting because it almost goes against kind of what you're thinking, right? Because because a big plays are dangerous. There no, there's no guarantee it's going to happen. But at the same time, like you are saying, okay, well, let's be perfect for 12 plays or 14 plays. And the play call has to be at least somewhat correct and the execution. So I feel like I don't know if there's w- one way is better than the other, right? Like a, a lot of plays or like a couple plays and a big play. I think they're both difficult to execute, you know, on a consistent basis. All right. Good job. We're, we're here. We, we, we <laughs> We got the statistic yeah, that I'm looking I, for. Okay. So so part of what helps you against Kansas City is when you make them tackle. They're not necessarily a great tackling defense, and, and neither are the Bills. Um, but they were in the top 10 in missed tackles last season. And so I think when you challenge them in space, um, you can get whiffs. And when they get whiffs in space – you get chunks of yards. So I'm not saying you can't throw the football down the field. I think you just have to be a lot more willing to put the Chiefs in isolated situations to challenge that tackling and see if you can create some big plays that way. Like, it's good to get big plays, but I don't think you have to embrace the only way of getting big plays as hitting Stephon Diggs on a nine route, you know, 40 yards down the field. Right. You have to find other ways to do it. Yeah, that, that makes sense, and I and I think that's a great point. And I think that's one of the things that maybe that's just totally off of my perception of last year that I think the Bills struggled with is sort of the yards after catch. And going way back to the beginning of our discussion, I, I think that maybe that's an area that Dawson Knox could help just with his athleticism, as you said, against linebackers out in space. So hopefully maybe that's an area where he can really help out the team as well. Yeah, the statistic that I've been preaching on yards after catch is Josh Allen – was 29th in the NFL in yards after catch per completion at 4.7. By comparison, Patrick Mahomes was third in the NFL at 5.8. I mean, Pat Mahomes is getting an extra yard, a little over an extra yard per completion, just because the the guy was able to run with the football further, right? So I think that's a big part of this offense taking a step, and I was really pleased to hear Josh Allen talk about that in his press conference uh, this past week when he was talking about stuff he was working on this offseason and, and being better with ball placement on in-breaking routes and giving his receivers an opportunity to stay up and create more after the catch. And I think that's a very low-hanging fruit piece of how the Bills offense can take a step this year is hitting more moving targets and allowing these weapons to create more offense on their own and just making things a little bit easier to you know achieve the yardage goals that they're looking for. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't expect him to really say that. I thought he'd go more with the check down. But, yeah, I was really excited to hear him say that. And yeah, let me, Well, you say that. So the check down, here's the thing about the check down. It is, I agree that there is some more of that than I would want. But some of Josh Allen's best plays that he makes are when he doesn't take the check down extends the play and hits something even more meaningful down the field. Like, so you don't want to completely neuter him and say, no, just take this, take, we're going to put this running back over here. He's going to sit down and, you know, if nothing's there, throw it to that guy because you eliminate some of the most dynamic plays that he makes. And I, I'm careful. I'm very careful, careful about uh, taking too much of that away from him. Yeah, oh, I, I agree. I, I feel like there's times where he's just holding the ball. I feel for like 10 or 15 yeah. seconds. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. please just throw it to somebody at right. this point. You know, like, I'm getting scared now. That, But, yeah, you're right. He's just so, so good, you know, waiting for things to develop and, and working outside of structure. Just it, it's like almost like like a magic trick almost every time because I'm like, man, I can't believe they can't get to him. <laughs> yeah, well, He's hard to tackle and it's hard to cover for that long. Like, you know, right. like eventually if you can keep the play alive, someone's going to be open and Josh has got all the arm talent in the world to, to make those plays. And so you got to find that balance. And I think it's a different balance to strike, but um, more checkdowns, but also not, like I said, I think the right word is neutering Josh Allen right. from what makes him so dynamic. You don't want to turn him into Tyrod or any, you know. Oh, and I don't think you can. Well, I, no, I know, I know. I, I, but I'm just, you know, you know. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on today with uh, me, Joe. I appreciate it. And why don't you tell everyone where they can find your work, uh, Lockdown Bills, the Draft Network, all that stuff. Yeah, appreciate it, Charlie. I enjoyed this. Um, so I have the daily podcast in the Buffalo Bills, Lockdown Bills. We have a daily podcast on football, the NFL, NFL draft, college football. That's draft dudes. You can subscribe to that. It's daily, me and Kyle Krabs. And then all my written stuff and all my scouting work is at thedraftnetwork.com. So a lot of content. If you want to keep track of it all, the Joe Marino at the Joe Marino on Twitter is, is probably your best spot. Thank you for doing this, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Charlie. I appreciate you having me on. I enjoyed it. Once again, I would like to thank Joe Marino for joining me on the podcast. Really appreciate him giving me some of his time here on the Halftime Adjustments podcast on the Built in Buffalo Network. My name is Charlie Gross. You can find me on Twitter at Charlie underscore Gross underscore. Once again, you are listening to Built in Buffalo. You can find Built in Buffalo at Built in Buffalo underscore. Please check out the YouTube channel. We have a show on there Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, and Thursday. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, leave a rating and a review, all that good stuff. Tell a friend. It really helps us get our content out to other Bills fans. And as always, Bills Mafia, find a way to embrace your growth mindset and trust the process.